This is the Reading Instruction Show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Andy Johnson. Today, we are continuing our discussion on disagreements. How do we handle our disagreements, our academic disagreements? Now, it is natural and good that people disagree. When people express disagreement with me, I know that's hard to believe, but some people do disagree with me. Either in an online or an in-person form, I try to respond to them, and I try to do so in a respectful manner. But to be honest, I have not always done so. Early on in my various online and in-person venues, I sometimes responded to angry, negative, or demeaning comments with something a bit snarky or worse. Or when a response was not in perfect alignment with my thinking, I immediately jumped in and corrected the respondent. And while I sometimes found the back and forth to be enjoyable, I eventually came to realize that a whole lot of time and energy was being spent on the interactions and nobody's mind was being changed in the process. Instead, people were just becoming more entrenched in their current beliefs. And worse, I was not maintaining the standards of the academy. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. But a note to self and others. Extreme responses only convince those who are already convinced. People in the middle are just turned off by the whole process. So let's talk about the academy. What is the academy? It's a group of scholars, artists, writers, researchers, and scientists within a field who promote and maintain the standards of the field. It's by maintaining this, these standards that the field continues to evolve. Now, within the academy, one of these standards is the use of respectful academic discourse when discussing and debating issues. Here, people exchange ideas, they define and defend their positions, and they delineate points of agreement and disagreement with others. Sometimes, there are very heated exchanges while discussing and debating issues. This is as it should be. Debate is an important part of the scholarly process within the academy. However, it's done using respectful academic discourse. In the Academy of Scholars, this is one of the standards. Now, the essence of respectful academic discourse is this, the basic essence. You make your point, and then you support it using reason, research, or research-based theory. And then you listen. The focus is on the idea, not the person who holds the idea. When responding to something with which you disagree, you specify the point of disagreement, then make and support your idea, and then you listen. You can see this type of academic discourse in academic journals as people argue or support or refute points of view or examine research. These types of exchanges also occur when pre-K-12 schools, colleges, and universities are operating with intellectual integrity. Now, this doesn't mean that people don't sometimes have vehement disagreements or make their positions known in a very pointed and forceful manner. However, academic discourse is used in these exchanges. So let's take a look at this. Respectful academic discourse does not mean one is immune 
from negative criticism. Quite the contrary. Criticism, both positive and negative, is part of the process. Now, in any academic setting, again, pre-K-12 schools, colleges, universities, or other, it's perfectly appropriate to use the strongest terms to describe or express these things. Disagreements with a policy or procedure. Opposition to a program or plan. Negative assessment of a research study. Negative assessment of a book or article. Or negative assessment of some sort of performance. I know I didn't get all of them, but just those are just some. Now, anyone who's put forth a new idea, submitted an article for blind peer review, submitted a book proposal, or put out academic content in an online format has experienced this. It's part of the process when people criticize your work. Now, when I began writing academic articles way back when and book proposals, the harsh assessment and reviews I received enabled me to refine my ideas and produce better products. I wouldn't be writing books or making this podcast right now if it weren't for the withering reviews of my early academic work. However, these critiques focused on the product and not the person. So if you disagree with an idea, it is highly inappropriate in any setting to simply say something's horrible or an embarrassment, a disgrace or a disaster. Using only negative adjectives in your assessment does not constitute high standards for any kind of discourse, let alone academic discourse. As well, if you disagree with a person it is highly inappropriate to simply say that that person is incompetent, uninformed, unqualified, or weak. Name-calling, labeling, and personal invalidations are not allowed in academic discourse. Hyperbolic language is rejected. These things aren't appropriate for any kind of respectful discourse, let alone academic discourse. Finally, in academic discourse, all voices are heard with no single voice dominating the discussion. It's not appropriate for dissenting voices to be purposefully muted or muzzled. Neither should they be purposely excluded from the conversation. Academic discourse allows all to describe and support their ideas. Thus, the ideas stand on their own merit, not on the manipulation of the conversational space by a few. Now, a point of clarification must be made here. Respectful academic discourse does not mean that scholarly and creative works must be mundane and emotionalist. Banality is not the goal. Indeed, within the academy, there are scholars, writers, and artists who have used their work to illuminate important issues and describe ideas that objective academic language simply could not get to. Examples of this include James Baldwin, Imbram X. Kindy, Derek Bell, and Isabel Wilkerson. They've all written about systemic racism, often in very personal and compelling ways. They've created beautiful writing to address some ugly truths. In so doing, they were able to provide a level of understanding about systemic racism that official reports or objective academic texts simply were not able to get to. Now, with my own writing, 
my latest publisher gave me permission to include first-person narrative. The content suddenly became alive and was much more impactful. I was able to say things that my timid, objective, third-person voice simply could not articulate. As well, you might notice that in my podcast, YouTubes and Articles, I often use imagery, metaphor, and language that is purposely designed to provoke. Provocation is sometimes necessary to call attention to issues, to rethink traditional paradigms, or to make a point with great impact. So am I being hypocritical in my call for respectful academic discourse? No. Academic discourse does not necessarily involve the product. Rather, it is the discourse that takes place around the product. Indeed, some products within the academy are meant to be highly provocative in order to move or expand the field. So, final words. What can we conclude? Disagreement and conflicting views are good and natural. Using respectful academic discourse, you make and support your ideas using reason, research, or research-based theory. Third, using academic discourse to discuss and debate is an integral is integral to the growth and evolution of any pre-K school, college, university, or other institution. Fourth, academic discourse, you disagree and express criticism without name-calling, labeling, and personal invalidation. Five, academic discourse focuses on the idea, not the person making the idea. Sixth, Respectful academic discourse allows all ideas to be heard. It does not seek to mute, muzzle, or exclude dissenting voices. Seven, penality is not the goal of respectful academic discourse. Sometimes provocation is necessary within the academy. And eight, academic discourse does not necessarily involve the product or creation, rather the conversation around products and creations. This has been the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson.